Please be seated. As you take your seat, you can open your Bibles to Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm. A wonderful and uh, remarkable word from King David, who wrote many of the Psalms. This is a Psalm of tremendous intimacy. You've heard the saying, it's not all about you. Well, when you come to Psalm 23, it is actually all about you and all about the Lord. Seventeen times this psalm mentions I or my or me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In these six little verses. And it demonstrates God's goodness to his children. It demonstrates our Lord is the great shepherd of the sheep. And as we have read in the other places in the Bible, that great shepherd of the sheep, the great bishop of our souls, as Peter says, also appears in Revelation and in the Gospel of John as none other, none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. This morning I want you to take a look at this psalm carefully, intimately. And look at the Lord's kindness in your own life. In fact, this is a psalm of God's kindness and love and grace all throughout life. From the very beginning until the day of one's death. And if I had a summary statement or a thesis for this passage, it would be this. As the great shepherd of the sheep, our Lord offers us his generous provisions and protection throughout life and a place with Him for eternity. I want you to notice three things this morning. They flow fairly naturally in this passage. Number one, the Lord's provisions for His people in verses 1 through 3. And then secondly, the Lord's protection of His people in verses 4 and 5. And then finally, the Lord's placement of His people in life and in eternity. So along with an outline of the message, join me in prayer. Let's ask God to bless our time of study together. Heavenly Father, I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. Lord, your word is powerful. It always goes forth and never returns void. And so I pray that you would minister to our hearts and our minds this morning as we engage in the foolishness of the message preached. Lord, save those who are lost. Disciple those who are saved. And get all the glory for the way that your Spirit will move in our lives and in our church through this message. We dedicate it all to you now and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, first of all, I want you to notice the Lord's provisions for his people in verses 1 through three, the psalmist begins with a statement of satisfaction. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There is no want with the Lord because he offers complete and total satisfaction. That is a satisfaction that this world cannot offer in any format. I love the words of Psalm 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And besides you, I desire nothing on the earth. Now, we all have various desires as we go through life. No one would disqualify those. But what the psalmist is saying is, 
that nothing on earth can satisfy my life, body and soul, more than the living God. And when I try to satisfy myself through another means, I'm never satisfied. Psalm 145, verse 16, psalmist says, You open your hand, O Lord, and satisfy the desire of every living thing. We live in a world where people are trying to satisfy their desires in all the wrong ways. Some people want to take a trip via drugs and alcohol. Others want a sexual experience. They want someone to love them, care for them. But down deep inside, there is a hole that no one and nothing can fill to the point of complete satisfaction than the Lord God himself. And you'll notice he does this in both spheres. Man is a a dichotomy of body and soul. Look at verse 2. The body, first of all, our physical needs. He demonstrates through this metaphor of the shepherd and the sheep. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. This is a picture of rest. The Lord offers rest in green pastures. No wonder the Lord Jesus says, Come to me, and you will find rest in Matthew 11. The Lord also offers peace and refreshments. He leads me beside quiet waters. You know, sheep are animals that don't drink from rushing waters. They have to be still. The sheep are timid and fearful creatures. So the psalmist, David, who was himself a shepherd, is pointing out that the Lord God Almighty takes care of his sheep in terms of their physical needs. He provides for them. He cares for them. It's like what the Apostle Paul says, What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast? Everything we have in life is a gift from God. And all those things that take care of our bodies that enable us to live like medicine and food and drink and rest. The Lord God Almighty provides those things. He takes care of our physical bodies. But then look at verse 3. He also takes care of our souls. He restores my soul. He gives me or guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. This is a picture of the Lord's salvation and also the Lord's sanctification. He restores my soul. You know, the restoration of the soul is a beautiful word picture for redemption. Sin has brought great destruction to human beings. I picked up the news this morning and noticed yesterday that that terrible shooting in Buffalo, New York, where a young man apparently filled with hatred went into a grocery store and shot 13 people and killed 10 of them. Sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 say that, and it leads to eternal destruction of both body and soul. And the Lord knows we have needs, physical needs for our body, but He knows our greatest need is the restoration of the soul. Because our soul faces destruction, and our soul is marred by sin, and it destroys all of life. And so the Lord knows that our greatest need is to restore our souls to the rightful owner. The Bible says you either belong to God your father or God the devil. One of those is your father. 
And it's very important that your soul be kept by the Father. So what a beautiful picture. The Lord restores my soul. And He doesn't stop there. He says He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Not only does the Lord save us and redeem us, but He leads us in a lifetime of sanctification. He leads us in the paths of righteousness. I love the words of Philippians 1.6 where Paul says, He who began a good work in you will continue to perform it until the very day of Christ Jesus. We're not just left here to walk around on the earth for no reason. We're left here to become more and more like the image of Christ. So that one day when we go to be with Him, we shall be like Him and we shall see Him as He is. You know, it's very important to know who has your soul and who has your body. I was reading a devotional the other day and the man quoted a line by C.S. Lewis. And uh, what he said was, one destination or the other, that's what everyone is heading to. They're either heading to the beatific vision or the mesorific vision. This is in his book, The Pilgrim's Great Regress. <laughs> in the beatific vision, we will be transformed into everlasting splendors. In the miserific vision, we will become immortal horrors. If we could see ourselves now as we are going to be, says Lewis, we would be tempted to fall down in worship or to flee in horror. That's why it's so important. If we could see what we're going to be, that which we cannot see right now, that if we belong to the Lord Jesus, it's going to be a beautiful picture in the end. But if we belong to Satan, and the Lord does not have us body and soul, it's going to be a horrific, awful thing to look at. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask myself a question. Is there a deep-down satisfaction in my heart and life with the Lord? If I go through life always wanting something, always running after something, jealous or envious of my neighbor or friend and what they have, then I am not resting in the Lord. And I don't have a sense of satisfaction. So let me challenge you with that this morning. If that sense of satisfaction is not present with the accompanying peace and joy that the Lord provides for both body and soul, then take a look at your life. And ask what's going on inside. Is the Lord truly my shepherd? Or is he my shepherd and I've walked away from him and need to return? The Lord's provisions for his people are beautiful. But then the psalmist continues in verses 4 and 5, speaking of the Lord's protection of his people. Now, in contrast to the joyous experiences of the sheep in verses 1 through 3, here we have a pathway of the sheep which is filled and includes a harsher terrain. That is to say, at times of difficulty and dangerous circumstances and the threat of enemies. You'll notice two things under this heading in verses 4 and 5. Hostile circumstances and hostile people. Hostile circumstances and people. First of all, in verse 4, we see the shadow of death. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? 
because you are with me. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, the shadow of death can be rendered deepest darkness, which includes not only actual death, the experience of death itself, but also times of deep darkness in the believer's life. Times where you may feel very depressed, very down for one reason or another. Times where you don't want to go on. Times that seem so dark and difficult, you don't even feel like getting out of bed. There are times like that in the believer's life. That's why Psalm 88 was written. The psalm that ends with my closest friend is the darkness. And sometimes life can be very dark when we lose a loved one, when a child goes astray, or when we just simply suffer from deep, dark depression. There's all sorts of reasons. Whenever there's an illness that won't seem to be healed, whenever there's a problem that really lacks a solution, it's dark. But here the psalmist says, even though I walk through those valleys of the shadow of death, or even death itself, I will not fear. I'll fear no evil, because you are with me. You know, companionship is always most welcome in times of need or danger. I've known very few people in 30 years of ministry that want to be by themselves when they face a tragedy, when they go through a bad experience. No, Christians join with each other. Human beings join with each other to give companionship whenever you're going through a tough time. One commentator says, the darker the shadow, the closer the Lord. The darker the shadow, the closer the Lord. The times, oddly enough, when you think the Lord is somewhere else, or you're far away from Him, and going through a deep, dark battle, a valley, the Lord says, I'm close to you. You have no reason to fear, because I am with you. In fact, He goes on to say, your rod and your staff... They comfort me. You know, the rod was a shepherd's weapon against wild beasts and predators. He would wear that on the side like a sword, and he would pull it out, and he would whack any predator, any animal that came as a threat to the sheep. But then he says, your staff, the shepherd's tool of discipline, not a weapon, which he used to round up the flock, the shepherd's discipline of nudging the flock with his crook to stay together. And to stay close to him meant security. You know, that's what discipline does. Discipline in the Bible is a good and a profitable and a positive thing because it creates a sense of safety whenever we have discipline. I read a story a long time ago that I believe James Dobson mentioned. They had an experiment where they had a lot of kids playing on a playground. And as a result of that playground, it was not fenced in, and there was a busy street on several sides. And so the kids huddled together real tight, and they couldn't roam in the playground and play. But then they put up a fence, a chain-link fence, all the way around the perimeter of that playground, and guess what? The children were free. They were able to run the length and the depth of that playground and play all over the playground to the very limit of the fence. That's the way God is with us. He uses things for discipline. He uses things for protection that sometimes we may think that's a little restrictive, but in reality, it's not. It's creating more freedom whenever the Lord holds us together and protects us with His discipline. 
Discipline means security. And even at the point of death, the Lord alone can lead a man or a woman through a deep, dark valley of death. I don't know how many Christians I've known in 30 years where I sat by their bedside as they died, and I saw peace. I saw the reality of them going to be face-to-face with the Lord. And opposed to that, I've seen non-believers die as well, and it's not a pleasant sight. It's always ugly. And it's unnecessary. Because the Lord will take care of any of your hostile circumstances. And if you're going through hostile circumstances, even now, trust the Lord at that point. Cry out to Him. Ask Him to make His presence more real to you than ever before. And He will. Not only hostile circumstances, but hostile people. Look at verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. What in the world does he mean here? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Excuse me. This could be a reference to one of the times in David's life where God took care of him when he was on the run from King Saul, his predecessor, or his son Absalom, who crossed him. In fact, David may be reflecting on Barzillia's care for him in the face of Absalom. In 2 Samuel chapter 17, 27-29, you'll see David on the run from Absalom. He's out in the wilderness. He has no provisions at all. And then Brasilia and three other men in verse 28 and 29 brought beds and basins and earthenware vessels and wheat and barley and flour, parched grain, beans and lentils, honey and curds and sheep and cheese for the herd and for David and the people that eat with him. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. I imagine David reflected on times in his life where the Lord, in the midst of a very difficult situation, in the midst of an enemy, set a glorious table for him, took care of him, often with human means as the instrument. He says, not only that, you anoint my head with oil. It speaks of the Lord's welcoming, the overflowing cup of lavish provisions. You know, sheep are theoretically helpless. They are, they're not just theoretically helpless, they're absolutely helpless. I was reading a, a story the other day about uh, a sheep that is cast. You ever heard of that? It refers to a large sheep, usually pregnant, unshorn, overloaded with wool, lying flat on her back, and bleeding urgently for help. And I read a story where two or three people were riding by a roadside, and they saw a sheep just like that, with all of its hoofs in the air not where it needed to be, and they stopped, and they got the sheep back on her feet, and they massaged her legs so that she could run off and be with the flock again. That's the way we are. We need the Lord, and we need Him especially in times of enemies. Maybe you have an enemy. Maybe somebody that when their name comes to mind, it just starts eating at you. Something that they did to you, something they said about you, You have an enemy, and you'd love to be free of that. You'd love to be free of those feelings that come over you when you think about that person. And it brings resentment and bitterness. Well, let me challenge you that not only in the face of of holistic or hostile circumstances, but also hostile people, the Lord can give grace and mercy for you to move past. Think about it. 
Think about Stephen, a deacon and a martyr in the church. You remember after that tremendous message that he delivered as a deacon in Christ's church? That they took up stones to stone him. And he said, I see the heavens open and I see the Son of God standing at the right hand of the Father. And they stoned him. And you remember when Stephen was going down, he said, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. That is supernatural. Right in the face of enemies who were gnashing their teeth at him. And God gave Stephen the grace to pray for them. What's the point, Pastor? The point is this. When you've got hostile circumstances, or even hostile people, you will not deal with them effectively by getting revenge, or by holding bitterness, or resenting them and hating them whenever you see them. No, go to the Lord. Take it to the Lord, and He will give the grace, just like Stephen, to look at them without a cursing, but offering a blessing. Instead of resentment, there is pity. Because Stephen knows the truth. They don't know what they're doing, just like the Lord Jesus did when he was on the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Right in the face of enemies, hostile people. The Lord says, I'll set a table for you, and your cup will overflow, and there will be joy instead of resentment, and kindness, and forgiveness instead of bitterness. And we all know that bitterness and resentment ultimately takes the toll on us who practice it, not the person it's directed to. Well, the Lord offers provisions for His people and then protection in verses 4 and 5, and it's a beautiful picture. But finally, there is the Lord's placement of His people, and that is in verse 6. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness suggest a steady support that one can count on in the family or between friends. Loving kindness is another word for mercy. It's a covenant word rendered steadfast love in Psalm 17, verse 7, where it says, Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Lord, of those who take refuge at your right hand. You see, with God, these qualities are not merely solid and dependable, but vigorous. Something I didn't notice about this psalm until this past week, where it says, your loving kindness will follow me. It's the Hebrew word, radah. It's used 144 times. And it means to pursue. It means to chase. It means to run after. And so when the psalmist is saying, goodness and loving kindness will follow me, it's not a matter of just trailing back there. It's a matter of pursuit. He says, they'll be pursuing me all the way through life. God pursues His children with goodness and kindness and love for as long as life lasts. It's a picture of the father with the son, the prodigal son. He doesn't wait when the son comes back. He runs to the son. And that's what the Bible is saying about the Lord. He pursues His people because we are the apple of His eye. And we have a place with him, not only in life, but also in eternity. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word dwell means literally, I will return to the house. When earth's paths in verses 2 and 3 and the valleys and the threats in verse 5 are all over, there comes a real return home. 
And it's just like the Bible to say something like that. As the writer of Hebrews says, for those who are sanctified and the one who sanctifies are all from one Father. And we come from that Father and we're going back to Him as chosen, elect children of God. Jesus said in John 14, 2 and 3, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. We read this morning, John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Did you love Revelation 7, verse 14? It talks about not only the sheep, but also the shepherd, who is none other than the Lord Jesus. They will hunger no more, thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. We could use that yesterday when we were doing the uh, church work day. The sun was beating down. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The Lord has not only provisions and not only protection throughout life, but a place with Him for eternity. Put all this in the light of the New Testament. Jesus Christ is the only one who can satisfy all of your needs, body and soul. He provides for us and He saves us by His grace. He sanctifies us all throughout life. And He takes us to places where we can feed ourselves to full satisfaction, even in the face of hostile circumstances and hostile people. He refreshes us with His Holy Spirit. And in times of deep darkness and distress, there is no need to fear because He is present with us. He's the one who says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him. Who's your shepherd this morning? Do you see yourself as a sheep? Do you belong, body and soul, to the Lord Jesus Christ? If not, ask Him to come into your life and to begin this marvelous, marvelous pilgrimage as a sheep with a faithful and an eternal shepherd until you're home with Him one day. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You that You are the great shepherd of the sheep. Lord Jesus, we praise You that You fulfill everything we've read about this morning in the Old Testament in this psalm. And we thank You for that marvelous vision of what we see in the future when we're finally home with You and our robes are washed in the blood of the Lamb. Lord, until that time, help us to be thankful for all of Your provisions. Help us to take comfort in all of your protection. And help us to remember that this place, this earth, this life, is not all there is. But we're heading to our eternal home with you. Give us grace to see all this and to share it with others. Give us a sense of hope and a sense of love for you most of all and for one another as we continue on this pilgrimage. We make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.